Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. draw meaning out of the names of the reindeer and correlate it with scripture I'm sorry I'm, I'm not taking a quote from the Grinch stole Christmas and using that as a platform to springboard in scripture you could probably find something and do that and that's the commercialization of, of church sometimes man I don't know what I'm doing here but I'm just but uh I'm just, I'm just gonna, just gonna preach a little bit here tonight. I wish I had more time for this to cook, but I don't. But you just gonna deal with me. I'm just gonna talk to you, because sometimes I, I set myself up. I'm like, I'm gonna preach, and then it's just like, it's difficult preaching. So I think that maybe I should have taught, because then I'm not as disappointed. You understand what I'm saying? My expectation isn't as high in teaching. And so I've got to a habit nowadays telling people I'm just going to talk to them. So if that either turns into preaching or teaching, then my expectation is just kind of somewhere mediocre in the middle. So I'm just going to talk to them. Esther chapter number 9. You maybe really didn't need to know all of that. But uh, you know it now. Esther chapter number 9 and I want to read just a few verses of scripture I'm going to read verse 10 and then I'm going to skip down to verses 15 and 16 can you just stretch your hands right now and pray for me I'm serious you don't understand the mind battle I'm having up here right now tonight God, I pray, Lord, take every thought, Lord, captive in the name of the Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus Christ. God, everything that would be telling me one thing and speaking to my ear one thing, Lord, every negative voice, God, that would be speaking right now, God, in my heart and my soul, Lord, concerning, Lord Jesus, even the next few moments, and Lord, what maybe even the desires of the people are, Lord Jesus, here tonight, I pray, oh God, that you're able to help me. I pray, oh God, I stand in need, Lord, of your help. God, I am unable, Lord, to do, to perform, God, to, Lord Jesus, any of that. God, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour of every day, I need thee, oh God. Lord Jesus, be my shield and also my buckler, I pray, oh God, today. Hallelujah, and I thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your prayers. Esther 9 and verse number 10. The Bible says the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they. But on the spoil laid they not their hand. Verse 15. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day also of the month of Adar and slew 300 men at Shushan but 
on the prey, they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together, stood for their lives, and had rest from their enemies and slew of their foes 70 and 5,000. That's 75,000. But they laid not their hands on the prey. It's a little theme just through these three verses that seems to be cropping up. But on the spoil they laid not their hand. But on the prey they laid not their hand. But they laid not their hands on the prey. The Jews that were in the Medo-Persian area, along with Esther and Mordecai, laid not their hand on the prey of the Medo-Persians or the sons of Haman. Tonight, the help of the Holy Ghost, and it will only be with His help. I want to minister this, talk to you about this, satisfied with Him. Satisfied with Him. Lord, I love you tonight. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us in the next few moments. God, I am flesh. I am flesh. I am clay. I am dirt and dust of the earth. God, I was formed in my mother's womb as everyone else, Lord Jesus, was. I pray, oh God, I need a touch of heaven, Lord, upon my life right now. My mind and my words, I pray, oh God, not to be mine own, but God, to be yours. Help me, oh God, today, God, to do whatever is done in the next few moments, Lord Jesus, for God, heaven, for Lord Jesus, you. God, and I thank you and I praise you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated here this evening. Looting, ransacking, plundering, despoiling as it's called, pillaging. They are all the descriptions of taking goods by force as a part of a military or political victory. These goods then that are taken are then described as loot, various names, plunder, spoil, booty, pillage, and prey. These are known to be the rewards of victory. These tokens, you may call them, become payment for a soldier's commitment in warfare and in battle. They are a testament of their involvement. They are the proofs of their victory. In the early 1800s, New York Senator William learned Marcy. He is quotable for his saying to the victor, belongs the spoils. Military historian Dr. Peter Chaddock Adams said, as long as there are wars, trophies will be sought. See, throughout recorded history, victorious armies have practiced the art, you might call it, of spoiling their foes. Genghis Khan, the founder of the Mongol Empire, was not unusual in proclaiming that the greatest happiness was to vanquish your enemies, to rob them of their wealth. And that was an idea even as early in the 1200s, speaking of years in the 1200s. Even God told Israel after 400, above 400 years of bondage, Egyptian bondage, that whenever she left Egypt, it would not be without a struggle. It would not be without difficulty. 
but he said that he would give her favor among the Egyptians and that he wanted them to take their gold and their silver and their raiment And he summed it up like this for Israel. He said, ye shall not go out from Egypt empty. You shall spoil the Egyptians. It's as though God wanted them to have a memento of their time there. Or more importantly, wanted them to have an emblem of their victory over someone who had for a long time incarcerated them as a nation. It didn't matter if it was Israel or Israel's enemies. Both of the opponents, Israel and Israel's enemies, were known throughout Scripture for taking spoils. Sometimes Israel's enemies spoiled her, like whenever the Philistines came against Israel. And the Bible says when the battle was ended that day, they spoiled Israel in so much that they took the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. Away from her. And there were other times that Israel is recorded in Scripture as spoiling her enemy. She oft times would take the women and the children captive and she would spoil their cattle and spoil their flocks and spoil all of their goods. Spoils of war. There were spoils throughout the Bible that were washed with water after they had been taken. Sometimes they had to be washed with water in order to be cleansed because of the adversary that they belonged to. While there were other methods of purification, some had to be put through the fire if they couldn't be washed in order to purify them, in order for the children of Israel to have them. Some spoils in Scripture, the Bible says, were heaped into piles and just set on fire for the purpose of... Of destruction so no one would have them. There have been recorded in scripture small amounts of plunder uh, to the extreme and spectrum of large amounts of plunder in so much that the Bible even records some of these large amounts with phrases that they were in great abundance or even there were spoils that were exceeding much according to the word of God. Much of the material to build the temple that Solomon built and superintended in his day was acquired from the spoils of wars, acquired from the spoils of battles that his father David had fought. For that matter, it was prescribed in the book of Chronicles that the spoils won in battles were to maintain the house of the Lord. The spoils that were brought in from the warfare was used for the purpose of maintaining the house of God. That seems like a very notable cause and a very notable purpose. And to take it to a level maybe above all the rest in the book of Colossians in the New Testament scripture, the Bible even tells us that Jesus Jesus is described as having spoiled principalities and powers, triumphing over them in it. Amen. And so it's evident tonight that taking spoils was a common practice of being a victor. It was a common practice of being victorious. Amen. Being even that special instructions was given to the children of Israel when they first made their headway into Canaan and marched around the walls of Jericho 
Mexico that the Lord would speak to them that you cannot take per se of these spoils because they have been dedicated to the Lord or they are the accursed thing. Him even having to tell Israel that is proof in itself that it was a common thing that they normally took the spoils of the war or they took, if you will, pray. Amen. It reinforces the idea it was common for them to do this over and over again. But in Esther chapter number 9, if that is the case, that it was the pattern, it was common, it was custom for you to take the spoils or the prey of warfare, then I ask this question for us this evening. Then why do the Jews in the book of Esther not spoil Haman and his ten sons after they have died? Why is it that they refrained and kept their hand from the spoils of Haman who had been an arch enemy of the Jews in this Medo-Persian land? Why is it that they did not put their hands to the prey or to the spoils of the Medes and the Persians throughout the capital of Shushan and the 127 provinces that they had? Why was it that they refrained from taking anything? Because folks, if you begin to think of it, that would have been a lot of spoil. I mean, on the 13th day of the month, and, and, and I apologize tonight, I don't have time to tell the whole story of Esther. And you would not have the energy to listen. Amen. But on the 13th day of the month of Adar, amen, the Bible says alone that the Jews in their defense against the attack of the Medes and the Persians of Shushan, that on that 13th day alone that they had taken the lives of 500 men of the city of Shushan, including the 10 sons of Haman, had been destroyed in that single day in Shushan, in in the palace on the very next day because Esther said King if you wouldn't mind don't let us just have the 13th day to fight but let us also have the 14th day to fight on the very next day the Bible says that there was an additional 300 men that were slain there in Shushan in the palace and then it says a few verses further down that in addition to all of this on these days that there were 75,000 lives that were taken throughout the 127 provinces, amen, of the king. Folks, I don't have a calculator right here before me tonight, but it doesn't take long to calculate that those numbers and those high-ranking positions of being in the palace of Shushan, Shushan, amen, that there would have been a lot of loot. There would have been a lot of valuable plunder, amen, priceless plunder, that would have been at their fingertips. It would have been here and there in the palace, outside the palace, in 127 of the provinces, yet the scripture records, but on the spoil or on the prey, they laid not their hand. If you had 500 people in the palace that you took the lives of, imagine what a person in the palace acquired. Imagine the lifestyle that a person in the palace lives. And yet as their goods and their possessions laid there after they died, the Jew says, I'm not taking any of that. 
The Jews said, I'm not putting my hand on there. I'm not going to take any of these things home. At least three times in Esther 9, it speaks how the Jews did not lay a hand on the plunder of those in Shushan and in the other provinces. Amen. And yet they did this. So listen to me tonight. This is probably going to be some moments here along the way. We're just going to have to walk. All right. Amen. That Imagine they did this, although a degree, a decree had went forth, written in the king Ahasuerus' name, sealed with King Ahasuerus' ring, that made an allowance for them to plunder the possessions of their enemy. The Bible says in Esther 8 and verse number 11 to read it, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, note here, to take the spoil of them for prey. In other words, it had the king's name on it. It had the king's seal on it. And it was giving them lead way to take of the prey of those they had slain. To take the prey of those that were in Shushan. And yet the Bible says they laid not their hand to the prey. They laid not their hand to the spoil. I'm here to tell you had the roles been reversed as they had formerly been stated by Haman for Haman's people and the Medo-Persians to take prey of the Jews that they would have. The Bible says before another writing was written that would reverse what Haman had written in the name of the king and with the seal of the king. It said in Esther 3.13 and the letters were sent by post to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. See, I must, I guess, tell this story a little bit for those that may be unfamiliar with it. Amen. Esther being the queen to Ahasuerus, the king over the Medos and the Persians. Amen. In the 127 provinces of the country. Amen. It was given that Haman came on a day requesting that he could write a letter because there were some Jews throughout the provinces, amen, that he wanted to annihilate and take out. Mostly because Mordecai who was a man that never bowed down to Haman as he passed by, never paid no reverence to him. He himself was a Jew. And so he wanted to do away with all the Jews. And he got the king to agree that on the 13th day of the 12th month, it was going to be a word, a letter sent out through all the provinces that all of these people that were under the rule and the reign of King of Hazarus, that they could attack the Jews. They could take their lives, take, take the, the family and the kids and the wives, and they would be able to take all the possessions that they had. Amen. But the Bible says, and I don't have time to tell the whole story, Esther got on the side of the king and had him write another letter. Another letter was written. Mordecai was in cahoots with her. Another letter was written so that the Jews may defend themselves against the attack on the 13th day of the month and that they likewise may take all the people's lives and according to Mordecai that they may also take spoil for themselves of them people. Can someone say amen? What we have here is something as old as Saul 
what we have here is something as old, if you will, as the Amalekites or the Amalekites in Agag. What we have here is a story, really, that is unfinished from an earlier place in the Scripture. The Bible tells us, whenever we read concerning this man by the name of Haman, Haman is a Benjamite. Haman is rather a Agite. Amen. If you will remember, the Bible speaks about the Amalekites in the Old Testament, how they were the first ones that came up against Israel whenever Israel left Egyptian bondage. They were the first ones to take advantage of her, the first ones to come and get her weary and, and those that were struggling and those that were feeble. They were the first ones. It was during that battle that the Bible says that Moses had Joshua go down to the field and fight against the Amalekites and he had Aaron and her come up with him on the mountain and the Bible says as they were up there and they were being fought by the Amalekites that as long as Moses' hands were in the air that everything was well they were winning the battle and the warfare but when his hands began to go down he realized that the, the battle shifted and the Amalekites began to win and so Aaron and her was there to hold up the hands of Moses on the mountain and his hands stayed in until the going down of the sun and Joshua was able to take the Amalekites amen and, and win the battle win the war against them but God in that moment I feel like I got a porch as long as anything God in that moment told amen Moses he said Moses do not forget the Amalekites you're going to have war with them from generation to generation do not forget the Amalekites I notice in scripture that whenever that battle was done we don't have anything that indicates that Moses or Joshua or Aaron or her or any of the children of Israel amen took any spoil of the Amalekites the Bible says a little later whenever we read in scripture that Saul would come into the picture as king and he would be a king over the children of Israel and Saul was good whenever he first started his kingship about fighting against the enemies of Israel as a matter of fact the Bible says in first Samuel 14 and verse number 47 and they don't have these up there but that's okay the Bible says so Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side against Moab against the children of Ammon against Edom against the kings of Zobab against the Philistines whether soever he turned himself he vexed them and he gathered a host and smote the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of them that spoiled them and so we see Saul even in one measure of his life Life. Early on in his reign, he came against the Amalekites. He overtook them, and the Bible says that he got Israel out of the hands of them that spoiled them because oftentimes the Amalekites would come and spoil the Israelites. But again, it doesn't say anything about King Saul taking spoil from the Amalekites. He just spoiled those or he took them out of the hands. He took Israel out of the hands of those that had spoiled them. It's then that we read in the very next chapter another story of Saul and the Amalekites. Now this time the word of the Lord comes to him and he says Saul you know you remember Amalek he says they have been a problem from day one since your deliverance he says I want you to go throughout the land and I want you to utterly destroy them I also want you to utterly destroy you and see it in your Bible in the first verse of 1 Samuel 15 I believe it is or verse 3 he says I want you to go now and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all they 
have. That means life. That means possessions. That means cattle. That means livestock. He says you take care of all that they have. Now, most of you know this story, right? Some of you could probably come up and tell it better than I could. He says, I want you to destroy all they have. And the Bible says when the prophet Samuel showed up and he comes and he confronts Saul, he says, what's that bleeding? And what's the lowing of the ox in the background? Have you fully done what God said to do? And Saul says, I've done what God said to do. He said, but I've saved Agag, which is always the title for the king of the Amalekites. Just like Pharaoh was always the title of the king of the Egyptians. Just like Abimelech is always the title of the king of the Philistines. He says, I, I've saved Agag and we have some of the choice of the lambs and some of the choice of the livestock. Samuel knew in that moment that he had not followed the will of God. He had not followed the will of God. Amen. He did not leave the spoil of the Amalekites alone. Amen. Instead, he took them. Amen. For his own and for the nation of Israel's own. And it's from that moment in time we got a problem because Saul has allowed some Amalekites and Agag in particular to be alive. Sure, Samuel comes and he hews him in pieces, but nonetheless, he left some Amalekites alive. Someone say amen. The Bible describes Haman as an Agagite. In other words, what Jews are dealing with in Medo-Persian now is what Saul didn't take care of in his generation. What, what, what they are dealing with in this moment is an old problem. What Saul had spared, what Saul had left unfinished, now is looking to finish off the Jews in the Medo-Persian provinces of that place. Haman is an Agagite. Someone say amen. I don't know everything that's going through the mind. Amen. Of those Jews whenever they slay Haman the Agagite and the ten sons. But I can't but wonder there's something going on in their minds. Because whenever I realize that Saul, the old Saul who was a son of Kish, the Bible says. Amen. Who was of the tribe of Benjamin. Whenever I realized that and I fast forward to the time of Esther and realize that Mordecai and Esther are of the tribe of Benjamin, of the son of Kish, even of the son of Shimei, I realize we have a second chance in Scripture. We have a Benjamite Saul in the older days that didn't take care of business concerning the Amalekites and the Agag, Agagai in his day. But fast forward several years and we have the same scenario. We have some Benjamites and we have an Agagite, amen, that's went through history and time because there was business that was unfinished. Someone say Amen. So whenever I begin to read, listen to me now. When you read the scripture in Esther, the decree that was written in the king's name and had the king's seal upon it. King Ahasuerus did not write that letter. Mordecai wrote that letter. Mordecai the Benjamite that is in the family tree of, of King Saul, he wrote that letter. So you can only imagine, there's something you got to understand about the Benjamites. Whenever, whenever Jacob had all of his sons to come in and he was pronouncing blessing upon their life, I think it's in Genesis 
49. And he brings Benjamin in before him. He said, thou art a ravenous wolf. He says, you will destroy the prey and you will divide the spoil at night. You know what he was telling Benjamin? He says, you're going to have a tendency, amen, to be warlike. You're going to have a tendency to fight. And with that fighting, you're going to have a tendency to grab prey from your victories. You're going to have a tendency, amen, to take the spoils, divide them up, take what used to be your adversaries. That's going to be your tendency. So you understand then why Saul, in a moment, spoken to of God, says, don't take it. He's wrestling with the DNA of his tribe. He's wrestling with the DNA of his tribe. Amen. That says I'm warlike. And whenever we seize and conquer, we take the spoils of what we have conquered. That's his DNA. And he allowed his DNA to supersede his mandate from heaven. Uh Uh-huh. And since he did, we're dealing with Haman in the book of Esther. So what we have here, though, look at it now. What we have here, though, is now another man by the name of Mordecai who is of the same tribe of Benjamin. Amen, Brother Wright. And here's a man that, again, has a tendency, amen, to be warlike. That's his DNA. And to divide the spoil and destroy the prey. That's his DNA. And so as he's writing the letter, Watch me now. As he's writing the letter, yes, we're going to kill the men. Yes, we're going to take out the women. Yes, we're going to take out the kids. And yes, we're going to have our hand upon the prey. That was the decree sealed with the king's name and sealed, amen, with his seal. Right? But whenever we get to the time that the prey is there and the spoil is there, Israel does not Someone say amen. Man, I feel like I got an elephant still to talk about. Someone say amen. See, there's some interesting things. And listen, folks, I'm not, I'm not out here trying to prove anything. This is just me, okay? I'm sorry my brain works this way. This is just me. So Saul spares someone he shouldn't have. And it causes heartache for centuries and even centuries later. Haman the Agagite. Saul was disobedient to the Lord. We're dealing with this scenario centuries later. Listen to us. Listen, 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 listen. We have also, though, Mordecai and Esther... You can read it in Esther 2 and 5, I think it is, that tells us that they are the son of Kish, that they are the tribe of Benjamin, that they are the son of Shimei. Historians, I tell you, I have some of them here before me. I don't know where they're all at because I have written all over the place. But there is word concerning, for instance, Haman, that he's a direct descendant of Agag in the 16th generation and consequently Amalekite, according to Josephus. In other words, Josephus connects Haman all the way back to those Amalekites of years ago. Not only that, amen, then that Mordecai and Esther are connected in the family tree all the way back, amen, to Saul's family tree of being the Benjamites. Watch this though. They are also of the son of Shimei. Anybody remember Shimei? You read it in your Bible reading program this year? (laughs) Shimei that came out cursing David 
during the rebellion of Absalom, kicking up dirt, throwing rocks. Remember him? He was a Benjamite. David's entourage say, let us go over and kill him. David says, who knows if through the cursing of this man that God may be blessing us. And he stays their hand. When the crowd wanted to take care of Shimei, he stays their hand. Watch it now. And as a result of staying their hand, we get a Mordecai and a Esther. So we got two paths divergent here. A man that disobeyed God, that brought heartache. And another man that was disobedient to the voices of people and leaned on the arm of God that brought forth deliverance. That's what's pitted right here in the book of Esther. Amen. It says they didn't lay hands on any of that of Haman. Mordecai had the desire in his heart because he's fighting DNA. I'm writing it like this. But the Jews, when they went to conquer, when they went to defeat, they laid not hand upon it. Someone say amen. amen. 32 minutes. That's longer than what I thought I'd be here. Someone say amen. amen. So why did they stay their hand? Can I tell you today, Jews... Even still yet today, and the Jews of the New Testament, they all times, if they don't go back to their ancestry of what tribe they're from, they'll go all the way back that they can go back to Daddy Abraham. Even the Jews in the New Testament all times had qualms with the Lord and said, He said, I don't care if you do got Abraham as your father. Remember? Because they would always pull that, they'd always pull that rabbit out of the hat. Abraham's our father. You know, if they wouldn't call themselves of the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Benjamin, then honey, let's go back a little further. Abraham's my daddy. Let's go all the way back. There's something in me that that as I studied this here over the past few days, or just really just today more than anything. But anyway, as I studied this, that, that I realized that these Jews did not lay their hand on the prey. Because more than being qualified as the Benjamites or as the Judahites or, or whatever tribe it may be, they wanted to identify with the father of the faithful. They wanted to identify with Father Abraham. Can someone say amen? Because whenever we read, if you will, the response of Father Abraham, the Bible says it was during the time. You can look at it in Genesis chapter number 14. And I got enough Bible here, amen, to make somebody that's a non-believer nervous. Amen. Genesis chapter number 14. You can read of it here. It's that time whenever Abram and Lot have diverged. Abram and Lot have separated ways. And you'll remember Lot has pitched his tent towards Sodom. He even goes to Sodom, lives in Sodom. But there comes an adversary. There comes a, 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 a movement of kings that come and overtake Sodom and Gomorrah and they take Lot and his family out. They take goods and possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah out and whenever Abram heard of this Abram said I'm going to war for my brother. I'm going to war for my relative and he goes to war and the Bible says he brought back Lot he brought back their family, he brought back their goods he brought back the spoils he gave a tenth of it to Melchizedek 
And the Bible says that the king of Sodom came out to meet Abraham. Look at it now. Amen. Genesis chapter number 14 and verse number, uh, let's start somewhere around verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, he says, give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. He's saying, I'll take the persons, you can have the spoils. You take the persons, amen, I'll have the persons and you can take the loot. You can take the plunder. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, this wicked and perverse city and nation of Gomorrah, he says, listen here, sir. He said, I've lifted up my hand unto the Lord Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He said, I'm not going to take a thread, not even a shoe latchet from you. I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou I should say, I've made Abraham rich. You know what Abraham's dealing with? He's already dealing with his time that he went down in Egypt and he was given, if you will, bounty of Egypt and it caused heartache between him and Lot and they couldn't stay together and they had to separate ways. He's already dealing with what loot and booty and things of that matter have already done in his life. And so he's come to terms, amen, to tell the king, I don't care how good it is. I don't care how valuable it is. I don't care how price worthy it is. He says, you can keep it. He says, I've already lifted my hand to the God, the possessor of heaven and the possessor of earth. In other words, Abraham was saying, I'm satisfied with him. You can have your possessions. You can have your goods. You can have your gold. You can have your silver. But I'm satisfied with him. Someone say amen. See, there's something spilling over. These folks are tying themselves more than just a tribe. They're tying themselves, amen, to Daddy Abraham. They're not touching the loot of Haman. They're not touching the loot of the Mersians and the Medes, although they could, and it was written as though they could. Why? Listen. Listen. These Jews in Persia and Mede, in the Median area, are there. Because they've chose not to go back home. Listen to me. The captivity has happened. They have been dispersed. But the decree has already been made. We need you all to go back home. To build your tabernacle. That's, that's Ezra and Nehemiah. And your temple and your walls. The book of Esther is the recordings of the Jews that decided not to go back home. Brother Daniel, the only reason why they would choose not to go back home in my opinion, is because they thought whatever, whatever they had, where they had, was better than home. But something has happened in the mentality of these people. When home wasn't good enough to go back to, something has happened in this whole scenario that now they're not even willing to take the possessions of Haman or this area. You know what I believe God in their spirit? I think I'm ready to go back now. I'm satisfied with him. Hallelujah. I don't want to take anything of this place. And then for them to turn around and say, you are who you are because of us. You're rich like you are because of us. You have success like you have it because of us. No, 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 no. He says, I'm going to stand flat-footed upon the promises of God. I'm going to stand flat-footed upon the mercies of God. If I get anywhere, it'll be because of God. If I'm ever successful, it's going to be because of God. I'm not going to reach out my hand. 
I'm satisfied with him. I'm satisfied. Okay. I'm satisfied. Wait. Wait. We gotta go just a little further. Just give me a little more time. Just, just, just a little more. Just, just, just a little more. How do I think? How do I know? How do I speculate? That Abraham's not just saying, I don't want you to say that we made Abraham rich. How is it that Abraham could be so satisfied with the possessor? And if you'll even notice in Genesis 15 in the first verse, the first verse, after Abraham had said all that, God then tells Abraham, he says, what does he say? He says, fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He says, you denied the spoils, but you got the spoil. You got the prize. I'm your cheating great reward. Now notice, I don't have time for all this. Notice what I believe that stoked Abraham's fire. We got to turn back a little bit in Genesis. Got to turn back a little bit in Genesis. Genesis chapter 13, I believe it is. Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 14. Abram and Lot, they're going to separate ways, right? They got too much that they got from Egypt to be able to be in the same land. Abraham tells Lot, you make your choice. and I'll take whatever's left. He chose the well-watered plains over here. Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the, he's, the plains over here. And so then God tells Abram what's left. In verse number 14 of Genesis 13, look at this. The Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, he already made his choice. He said, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, Westward. Now, folks, I am not a Greek and a Hebrew linguist, but I will tell you this. We're, we're talking in the English, English language about direction, north, south, east, and west. But the language of Hebrew is a very physical language that's tied to its environment, very much so. Whenever you see in the Hebrew the word that is used for northward or north, it's tied to a known mountain range that's north. When you read of south, it's tied to a particular wilderness southward. When you read west, it's tied to a sea that's to the west. This is what gets me more than anything. When you see the word for east... It is an image of going back to something from a time long ago. As a matter of fact, it has the connotations of even meaning beginning and antiquity. So we have north a landmark. We have south a landmark. We have west a landmark. But when he said east, he's alluding to something from a long time ago, in the beginning, in antiquity, if I could take you all the way to Genesis of a garden that was east in Eden. 
In other words, Abraham, I'll give you to hear, I'll give you to hear, I'll give you to hear, and I'll give you all the way back to the beginning. I'll give you all the way back to the beginning. That's the reason why I believe Abraham could say, you keep your loot, you keep your spoils. My confidence is in the possessor in heaven and earth. He's already talked to me before you and I had this conversation today. He's going to give me northward and southward and westward, and he's given me all the way back to the beginning. And so I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Can I tell somebody today that there may be some in here that need a fresh start, that need a fresh beginning. You won't get that from the loot of your enemy. You won't get that from the booty of your adversary. You need to have your confidence in the Lord. Don't lay your hand on the spoil, but lay your hand on that majestic God. He can give you something that goes all the way back to the beginning. I'm satisfied with Him. Uh-huh. Someone say yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I, I need something that takes me back to the beginning. I need something that takes me back to the garden where I just had to keep it and dress it. I need something that takes me back to that heavenly communion with the Lord. I need something that takes me back when I was created in His image and after His likeness and there was no fault and seemingly perfection throughout. I need something and there's only one way I get that. The Ammonites can't do it. The Hivites can't do it. None of the other Vites can do it. But God can do it. He can give you... I'm satisfied. Those Jews that decided to stay when they should have went home, they needed a reset button. They needed something that went back to the beginning. That didn't come from the possessions. That came from the possessor of heaven and of earth. Someone say amen. If you can stand with me, we'll wrap it up. The slaughtering of the Medes and the Persians and those of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, that 127 provinces that the book of Esther writes about. All of that. Those two days of the 13th and the 14th of Adar, the 12th month, that they had for the slaughtering and the self-defending of themselves and their people and their children and their lands is what is known today in the Jewish world as the Feast of Purim. It means lots. It was a lot cast in their favor. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of celebration. Quite frankly, it is a time of giving of gifts. It should be, Purim should be our Christmas. It is a time of giving of gifts. But every year, the Sabbath before the Jews will always read in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 25 and verses number 17 through 19 will always be a part of their practice every year before they celebrate the day that they conquered Haman and the ten sons and even celebrating, if you will, the time when they refrained from taking what the law and ordinance said they could take. They always read Deuteronomy 25 and 17. 
which states these words. The scripture says, remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way. When ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote behind most of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee. When thou wast faint and weary and feared, and he feared not God, he said, Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. Listen to me. She's going to blot out the remembrance of him, and you shall not remember it. How can you forget Amalek if you hold on to the possessions that Amalek possessed? How can you erase its memory from your mind if you still have some of her trinkets in your dwelling? Because every time I saw that, Brother Daniel, I'd be reminded of Amalek. If I kept some of, the pos- some of the possessions of Haman and his sons, and I had them on a shelf anytime I passed by, you know what I'm going to remember? Haman and his sons. The only way that I'm capable of blotting out the remembrance of Agag and Amalek and all of that is not just to destroy them, but to refrain from taking anything that was theirs. Because I've got to become confident in this very thing. I don't need what they have. Listen to me. I don't need what they have in order to increase my status. Having what they got will not make my lot in life any more valuable. I'm trying to talk to somebody tonight. Their possessions added to your life is not going to increase your status. You don't need what they have to be any more valuable in the sight of God than what you are. Having 10 more cattle doesn't matter. 30 more she asses don't matter. Fine house in Persia doesn't matter. Leave it all and get back home. Leave. What I'm saying is this. We wouldn't have been in this mess to begin with had somebody just left it alone. So we got a generation that touches it that then requires another generation to contend with it. Because somebody wasn't satisfied with just being obedient to him. understand what I'm getting at? When you're satisfied with him, all the glamour and the glitter of the surroundings of the other inhabitants that's about you, it doesn't measure up. When you're satisfied with him, you understand somebody that has the ability to set the reset button and take you back to the beginning. When I found the Lord, Brother Trout, he hit the reset button and had the ability to take me all the way back to the beginning. 
You know what drug addicts need in our community? You know what those people need? They need a God that they can be satisfied with that can take them back to the beginning. You know what the people, amen, in our society that's struggling with the demons that are in this area and community, you know what they need? They need a God that can reset them back to a time of the beginning. Northward, southward, westward, but yes, take me all the way back to where it first began. Take me all the way. The old song used to say, take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. I want to be satisfied. Oh, I want to be satisfied. I want to be satisfied. Can we bow our heads in this place? I want to be satisfied. I want to be satisfied with him. Some are just fighting their DNA. They just got the, the warlike mentality and the always dividing the spoil mentality. The always destroying and casting the hand on the prey mentality. And I understand it was, it was, and it's according to how it's used. Some of the spoils were used for the maintenance of the house of God. But if you're just trying to use them for your own, your own purpose, trying to elevate, if you will, or feel more comfortable, if you will, rise to the status of those that are about you in a worldly sense it's going to be the very thing that snaps future generations if that's the mentality but we need to connect back with daddy Abraham we need to follow the Bible says in the New Testament to follow the, the steps of the faithful father Abraham we need to follow that and when they say you can take it we need to say no thank you because I've already lifted my hand to the possessor of heaven and earth He's already told me to look in all these directions. And he's told me I can have everything from the very beginning. In other words, there's nothing you can add to me that can measure up to that. There's nothing I can get from you that has any competition to that. There's some people here tonight. I'm telling you, there's some people here tonight that need to start over. They need to start over. The only hope that you have is in starting afresh and starting anew. And I know we're coming on a new year, but the way to do that, the way to do that is not from your spoils, not from your pillaging and your plundering. No, 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 no. It's from being satisfied in Him. Being satisfied in Him. Is there anybody in this place tonight that says, Brother McGee, I just want to grow in this coming year, 2020. I just want to grow more satisfied in Him. The possessor of heaven and earth, I just want to grow more satisfied in Him, in Him, in Him, in Him. I don't want a thread. I don't want a thread or a shoe latchet. Lest you say that you made me rich. No, I am what I am. I've become what I've become. And I am where I am. Because of the God, the possessor of heaven and earth, I'm satisfied in Him. These altars are open. I know it seems like I've went long, and it's the last service before Christmas, but would somebody please be a responder, not to me, but to the Word. A responder to the Word. I want to be satisfied with Him. I want to be satisfied with Him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. No, I love you, Jesus. Falling in love. Remember what Amalek did. Remember.
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.